The Marlins are looking set in the corner outfield, or are they? What are they going to do with Abacel Garcia? Is Abacel Garcia's career with the Marlins going to end this offseason equally? Could Skip Schumacher's Marlins career end? The Padres are continuing their managerial search. Could Skip Schumacher be in the frame? We hope not, but we're going to talk about it today. This is Locked on Marlins. You are Locked on Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings from England and welcome to Locked On Marlins. This, of course, is your daily Marlins podcast. I am your host, Peter Pratt. Hit me up on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Miami Marlins underscore UK. If you are listening to the pod, of course, hit subscribe. It's your team every day. Thanks for making Locked On Marlins your first listen of the day. Coming at you late. Got to call that out. But before we talk about that, there is a YouTube channel, of course. Make sure you head on over there and hit subscribe over on YouTube as well. This episode is sponsored by FanDuel. You can make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets. Guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. And welcome to Wednesday, the 25th of October's episode of Locked on Marlins. We are continuing our series, our conversation around stick or twist. We talked yesterday about third base and center field. We're going to now segue into the corner outfield spots. Uh, In many ways, it looks set to the naked eye. There's a big decision to make, though. Equally, do the Marlins need to consider adding in this area? I think it's an interesting discussion topic, so we're going to talk about that today in some detail, of course. Uh, There has to be some Avicel Garcia conversation. He is a corner outfielder, of course. He is owed money, as we know. Uh, The question is, uh, do the Marlins... Retain Avicel Garcia, do they give him another shot? Do they let it get to spring? All of these questions we're going to talk through today. We also have to talk about Skip Schumacher. I mentioned on yesterday's episode with Skip Schumacher, um, he went on a blockathon seemingly on, on Twitter for whatever reason. Uh, I'm still safe, by the way, so that's encouraging. Normally, I'm, I'm one of the first to go down for whatever reason. <laughs> when these blockathons occur, I'm normally one of the first to bite the dust. Um, it's normally, I don't know, in order of priority, it could be Alex Ferrer, takes were made, and then Pete Pratt in some kind of order. It seems to be that. And the Fish Army, too. They always seem to get catch a few strays. Um, but the the interesting topic, you know, and, and discourse, I think maybe Glenn Geffner shared this on, on Twitter as well earlier on, maybe this morning, um, the fact that you know, the Padres have a vacancy in their managerial uh, ranks right now. Uh, there is a vacancy. Uh, Skip Schumacher obviously knows the Padres, was there with the Padres um, two seasons ago, if I, if I recall correctly. And obviously his family is based in the West Coast. So naturally there's kind of putting two, to, two and two together. And are you getting five out of that is, you know, and obviously there's this turbulence around the Kim Ang exit situation, reporting around that obviously Skip and his staff pretty un, unhappy about that, that call. So, the, you know, the, the Padres seem to be going through their progression, let's say, around their managerial um, interviews. That seems to be taking place, kind of happening right now. I haven't heard anything to suggest that Skip Schumacher's met with the Padres, that the Marlins have allowed Skip to meet with the Padres. And frankly, 
from Bruce Sherman's perspective, you know, why would he? Why would Bruce Sherman want to enable Skip Schumacher to have a conversation with the Padres? The, the reality is the Marlins have, right now, in my opinion, got a competitive edge having Skip Schumacher with the Marlins. Why would you let him go to the Padres? Willingly. You, you wouldn't. Um, the only reason you would do is if the relationship has become untenable and the relationship has broken down to that point where Skip Schumacher is allowed to go and seek other opportunities. We'll keep a close eye on this one. I think it's probably unfair at this stage to kind of go off and start a huge amount of speculation in this area. But as the famous saying goes, there's no smoke without fire. I don't know how, if there is any actual smoke. <laughs> the article that Glenn Geffner shared, you know, didn't really report anything. It didn't commit to anything. It said, you know, the Padres could ask the Marlins and Skip Schumacher could be interested because of the former connections and the fact that his family is based there. And he could be interested because he's potentially unhappy about Kim Ang. So basically an article out there that doesn't really have any verified information from what I can read into it anyway. So, you know, as a Marlins fan, I'm seeing the way Skip Schumacher uh, managed the team last year, the way he led the guys. Clearly, I'm, you know, I'm hoping that that he doesn't entertain those offers. Like I said, the reason that he would entertain those offers and that Bruce Sherman would entertain those offers is if the relationship is broken down or there is someone coming in, president of baseball ops, and as part of that deal, the view is, I'd like to bring my own actual manager into this as well. There's someone I have earmarked, we work well together, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know, Skip Schumacher, et cetera, et cetera. That's another situation here. So it's one to keep an eye on, guys. I My gut feel is that Skip Schumacher's going absolutely nowhere this year, and he will be the Marlins manager in 24. The timing of those blocks... Interesting, no doubt. Um, but, you know, you have to do what you have to do on, on Twitter sometimes. And, uh, you know, sometimes that block button can be utilized. I haven't blocked anyone, by the way. I don't think I don't think I block anyone. Like, you know, I'm open book. Other people like to operate differently and uh, calm the noise, let's say. Let's talk about corner outfield, though. Uh, but before we do that, let's do our first ad of the day, guys. And uh, it's time to let you know about our good friends over at Jace Medical. Yes, sir. So let's get those graphics pumped on the Jace Medical front. Boom. For those watching, you would have seen why I've just said boom. But anyway, um, guys, um, Jace Medical have been, you know, we've been talking about them for a few weeks now, but there is a lot of uncertainty in the world today. Absolutely. And it's important to be prepared. There's unrest in the Middle East. There's fires in Hawaii, hurricanes and tornadoes in Florida, earthquakes and more. These can lead to supply chain shortages for medications or the inability to get medications in a timely manner. That's where the Jace case comes in. The Jace case is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that treat the most common and deadly bacterial infections. You can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your unique needs. Sounds critical. Must have in many ways, I would say. So it sounds like the right time to be doing this. Probably is the right time 
So if you think it is, get yourself over to jacemedical.com and enter the promo code locked on at checkout for a $20 discount on your order. The promo code again is locked on, and the website is jacemedical.com. Jace spelled J A S E for jacemedical.com. Okay, guys, welcome back. You are here with me, Peter Pratt, on Wednesday, the 25th of October. We are talking corner outfield, baby. So let's start with let's start with the guys who were there every day, pretty much, pretty much every day, particularly against uh, right-handed pitching. And those guys were Brian De La Cruz, and the other guy was Jesus Sanchez. Um, both of them, you know, heading into the season. Let's start with Brian De La Cruz. Spent most of his time at left field, and was. He's a below-average guy in left field, I would say, defensively. He's like, okay, but, you know, he's not amazing in left field. It's fine. Um, remember last year, uh, you know, the season before, 2022, boy, oh, boy, Brian De La Cruz was like MVP caliber player in, in September. Um, and so everyone went into 23 thinking, what kind of Brian De La Cruz are we going to get? Like, the hot streaks are really hot. Um, you know, ha- can we see more of that for longer? When are we going to see that? You know, can Brian De La Cruz effectively take the next, you know, the next level and the next stage of progression for him? Obviously, Brant Brown's come in, all of the different guys in and around the team, and thus they've been working differently before. I think when I look back on on Brian De La Cruz's season and you know, looking at things now, let's just kind of quickly flick it over here. I think I thought that he had a better year than he did. I don't know if if you guys think the same, but like when I reflect on you know what Brian De La Cruz did, which ended up being you know he played in 153 games. It's one thing to call out a ton of playing time for Brian De, Brian De La Cruz. Um, 626 plate appearances, 19 home runs. Um, but when I look at it, I was like, wow, a WRC plus of 92, kind of surprised me. And with the defensive numbers where they are, not great. WRC plus of slightly below average in you know in that sense. Um, you know, he hit 257, 19 home runs, a lot of plate appearances for that though. That's a that equates to a uh an F war anyway of uh 0.2. So it was positive, which is good. Um but I don't know about you guys, but I I kind of come away from that feeling like a touch underwhelmed with Brian Dela Cruz. I thought he had a better year than that. And I, I don't know why. I wonder what you guys think on that that topic. But, you know, when you look at, like, the ebbs and flows of his season, I think he started really well. March and April, the early part of the year, May in particular, when the Marlins went on that hot streak, and June, like, it was really nice. You get to July and the, and, and the All-Star break, um, and from then, July and August, which coincided with the Marlins kind of hitting that sticky spell, he was only hitting 215 through both of those um, calendar months. Picked it back up again in September and October. Um, but really, it was a season of two halves. The first half almost hit 280 uh, and then kind of dropped down to 228 uh, in the second half. It wasn't the same Brian De La Cruz, I would say. You know, one of the things that was called out was his approach in 3-2 counts or with two strikes. And I think that was the other thing that kind of was like a narrative that that was going through on the year. So what what did he do on in 3-2 counts? He hit 250, which actually... Um, you know, is pretty good. Um, so I think that was, you know, a sign of improvement there with Brian De La Cruz. Um, but when you look at like 
you know, down 0-2, uh, 1-2, uh, 2-2 as well. He's hitting under 235 in, in all of those counts. So, you know, when he fell behind um, in the main, he kind of struggled a touch, but he did kind of knuckle down in those 3-2 counts in particular. You know, we did see signs of life. Um, you know, w- when he was in a kind of 2-0 count, for example, he's hitting nearly 400 in that situation. So, listen, Brian De La Cruz, the, the thing we have to call out on him is Brian De La Cruz is a uh, league minimum salary. So that's a tick from a Marlins perspective. And, you know, we're going to talk a lot about the way this roster is constructed, the way the costs are constructed as we progress through. But to call it out on Brian De La Cruz, cost-controlled guy, He's, you know, showed signs at times of a, an, you know, a very serviceable, if not good, outfield stick. The defense isn't great, as we know, but there's definitely a guy there, particularly at league minimum, that will, I think, get another sizable opportunity heading into 2024. I'd be surprised if the Marlins look to really twist on that one with Brian De La Cruz. I think he's well-liked. A lot of people like him in the clubhouse as well. And I think, you know, when you piece together Brian De La Cruz, you piece together Jazz Chisholm Jr., and you piece together Jesus Sanchez, those three, which were the kind of main three starters, for me, there's a potential across the three of those guys to collectively deliver... Mm, you know, let's assume the Jazz plays the majority of time. There's there's a, a cluster of three outfielders there that I think could combine for like eight war if they do well, if they perform well. Like it's an eight war outfield there potentially, maybe more. Depends what Jazz could do. And the the total cost of that is in and around five million in total. Let's say Brian De La Cruz on minimum. We'll see what Jazz ends up in year one of Arb. Uh, and then equally Jesus Sanchez in, in year one of ARB as well. But, you know, it ends up being about $5 million for like, you know, eight war if they if they all stay on the field and, and perform as, as, you know, as they have done and actually maybe even take the next step too. So that's absolutely where the Marlins need to be. And these are the spots they need to be in where you've got ultra cost controlled guys early in ARB or league minimum who have, you know, taken the time to, you know, progress and, and develop. And, 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 you know, again, 2024 is going to be another developmental period for them. Let's talk about Jesus Sanchez now. And Jesus Sanchez, I would say, you know, he did take a step forward. When I look back at last year, you know, he was right on the bubble of being DFA'd. No minor league options existed for Jesus Sanchez. He had a rocky 2022. He definitely had some growing up to do. You know, he, he slept in one day, like kind of famously kind of slept in and turned up late. There was just some poor professionalism with Jesus Sanchez. He looks like that kind of guy, doesn't he? Like he looks like a fun guy. You could see how he could kind of be a bit lax, a bit relaxed about rules and et cetera, et cetera. And maybe, you know, maybe Miggy Rowe pointed a few fingers at Jesus Sanchez last year. Potentially he did. I don't know. But, you know, this year, what we saw from Jesus Sanchez was a progression, definitely a progression, um, particularly using the opposite field. Jesus Sanchez, the strikeout historically, in 2022 and prior to that as kind of people found him out it just was way too high it was unsustainable for Jesus Sanchez um for certain so you know when you kind of reflect on his year and you look at his you know his overall body of work he ends up putting a WRC plus of 109 that's in 402 plate appearances 
So 109 WRC plus, that'll play. Um, that equates to a 1.3 war, that'll play. Um, he's entering ARB for the first uh, year, I think, this year. Although I've said that, and now I'm slightly doubting myself. But I think he is ARB eligible. Um, but I'm not 100% certain. He's either that or league minimum. Um, the power is always there with Jesus Sanchez. But the opposite field stuff did, um, you know, definitely you know, definitely show up, I would say. One of the other knocks with Jesus Sanchez, and I think I maybe knocked him in this area too. And I know, like, Loud Marlins fan definitely plowed into him in this topic, which kind of became pretty funny. But when you're on fan graphs and you're looking at the, the leverage spot, like how does Jesus Sanchez perform in low, medium, or high leverage? You know, one thing that stood out to me is at medium leverage, he's he's good. He's hitting 272 in medium leverage spots. Low leverage is 223. When you go to high leverage, albeit it's only 42 plate appearances, he's hitting 306. Pretty impressive. When you look at his um it, the, what he actually delivers in certain counts. For me, this is really intriguing. Early in the count, uh, he seems to come alive. That's where he's at his most effective in kind of, you know, it, particularly if it's uh, a 1-0 or 2-0 count. Like, all of a sudden, he comes alive in those spots. 2-0 count, he's hitting over 300. 1-0 count, he's hitting 284. You know, you go the opposite way, and he's a strike. He, he's one or two strikes down. You know, 0-2, for example, he's 175. And that's, this is the next progression for Jesus Sanchez. I think when he when he uses his plate discipline, and I say that term loosely for Jesus Sanchez, but when he's able to work the count to a favorable count for him, he's a very dangerous hitter. So that's it for Jesus, is trying to get himself into a much better hitting count. And then he can do damage, and we've seen that. When he falls behind... He really struggles in those moments. And so, bit of plate discipline, you know, bit more watchful, but equally, take a little bit of the, the Brian Dela Cruz, the kind of 3-2 count of being able to, you know, really start to think about doing different things. You know, 3-2 count, he's hitting 2-16. Um, whereas, as I mentioned with uh, Brian Dela Cruz, uh, in those same counts, Brian Dela Cruz hitting 250, quite a sizable difference. Uh, and visibly, there's a sizable difference. Obviously, with Jesus Sanchez as well, what we have to call out, you know, against lefties, uh, it still remains a big struggle. Hitting 213 uh, on the year, 259 against righties, you know, it'll play. Um, he's, you know, he's absolutely serviceable in right field. I think there's more in the tank. I think there's more to tap into for the Marlins with Jesus Sanchez. Considering the the, the contract value, uh, I certainly could see Jesus Sanchez taking the majority of starts against righties in right field. I could certainly see Brian Dela Cruz starting most games in left field. I can see Jasmine Jr., as I talked about yesterday, starting in center field most days as well. The question then comes is what do the Marlins do with Abacel Garcia? Equally, we need to think about Peyton Burdick as well, because Peyton Burdick is absolutely kind of appearing on a roster bubble situation here. Obviously, he had a, a brief stint in 2023. For me, looks overmatched. Like I'm, I'm not convinced that his profile is is really what the Marlins were looking for. Again, who knows how things will play out? But I'd say Peyton Burdick is is definitely. I can't. I think he may have one option here remaining. Um, and if so, then I think that will be absolutely utilized at the start of 24. And the Marlins have kind of got a decision to make with him. Bit similar to Hayward and Canacion, I'd say with Peyton Burdick, like. I can sense they're just being a little sneaky kind of DFA at some point and clearing him off the 40-man. 
we'll wait to see. But for me, we didn't really see any kind of major progression with with Burdick. His profile didn't really fit what the Marlins and Kim Ang was doing. Who knows what the future direction will be? Let's finish up talking about uh, Avicel Garcia. Where else should we finish but Avicel Garcia? But before we do that, this episode is brought to you by our good friends over at FanDuel. And October baseball is well and truly back, baby. And how about those snakes? The Phils got they got game seven. Boy, oh boy, the Phils, they went cold at the bank, baby. Red October has been snake bitten. And well, listen, you can make your postseason debut with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Join FanDuel today. Get started with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to create your new account. Then you can get in on the action from the first pitch until the final out. Bet on everything from strikeouts to home runs to who will win the game. Also, who will win the World Series? Those Rangers. Rangers and Diamondbacks. Unbelievable. If you don't want to wait the whole game to get the dub, Predict what will happen in the next at-bat with quick bets. So head on over to fanduel.com slash locked on right now. Step up to the plate this postseason with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Make every moment more with Fanduel, official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. All right, guys, final segment here with me, Peter Pratt, on Wednesday, the 25th of October. A late one. A late one. You're probably thinking, why is this so late coming out? I had a tennis match. I had a tennis match queued up at 9 p.m. UK time. As I'm recording this right now, it is now 11.30 p.m. UK time after a tennis match, a two-setter, two-setter fair. I'm in League 4 in the the league I play in. The standard's pretty good. I played against a guy who was ex-League 1, stopped playing for a while, and is now working his way back through up. Anyway, he absolutely spanked me. Six love, six one. Was closer than it seems, but he wasn't trying. I was fully gassed. He had me running everywhere. I was absolutely gasoline. This is the problem, right? When you're overmatched, you you know, I put all the effort in, but I was overmatched. As much as I huffed and puffed, it wasn't enough. Why is that relevant to this episode? I think it's about talking about Avicel Garcia. Somehow, I mean, Avicel Garcia, I don't know if he plays tennis. He should do. He should play tennis. But let's talk about Avi. Because... Let me just put it out there right now. Jesus Sanchez, he absolutely shouldn't be facing lefties at all. The Marlins need a, a right-handed stick, a right-handed outfielder that has a prototypical outfield profile that can play against lefties. There's there's a need for that. As the year progressed, once Avi was down and other people were down, you ended up seeing like Garrett Hampson out there or John Birdie and stuff like I get it. There was a need for that, but for balance, and and they were trying to. And Soler was spending some time out there, but Soler, you know, they were trying to protect him more and keep him in the DH role. Soler won't be there anyway, so I, I still see a pathway where there's a a roster spot available for Abisel Garcia heading into spring. The question is, with the change of direction, like I honestly think when this season was done, I think a decision was already made around Abisel Garcia. He was basically on the phantom IL for the rest of the year. You know, the Marlins had had made that decision that his time in Miami was over. New front office coming in. Does that change? Does Avi get another life? The Marlins have a need for someone with Avicel Garcia's profile, you know, pre-Marlins. They need a right-handed stick that can do some damage against lefties. And if all that is what you can get out of Avi, is a platoon guy on the you know the short side of the platoon, then so be it. The other decision is 
Do you just straight up DFA him and you move on? The thing is with baseball guys, I have to call this out. You know, from one year to the next, for whatever reason, and often it's unknown, guys can just turn it on. And so at this point with Avi, and considering the Marlins still have a need for that type of guy, and from what I can see right now on the 40-man or wider, there's not really any alternatives. I'm now thinking Avisel Garcia gets another opportunity here into spring and see again how it goes. The Again, you just don't know. You can bite the bullet now, pay the money and move on. But really, that doesn't. there's no true value in that for the Marlins. What happens if Avi rocks up the spring and comes alive? What happens if he refines his form? And the Marlins, and he ends up refining his form elsewhere. Imagine that. Next thing is the Marlins have had to spunk another, what, 12, 24 million, plus a buyout, I think, probably for the other year. Let's call that another two or three. So the Marlins have got to give, like, Avi the $27 million handshake. I think he needs one more chance in spring. I don't want there to be another chance. It's been, he's been the, the, the free agent signing that I've had the most dislike for um, as a as a Marlins fan. He really is. You know, it, it's just been so infuriating with Avicel Garcia. Kim Ang was able to flex the Gene Segura situation. Hasn't been able to flex the Avicel Garcia situation, which is even more expensive. As much as she's likely tried or did try. But I think there's still... Because of the way the roster sits right now, with Soler going, and we'll wait to see what happens with Josh Bell. But with that, and the lack of options, and I think the lack of spending that's going to come, I think that Avisel Garcia will get another opportunity. And could you imagine how wild it would be if Avisel Garcia finds a way to turn it on? Turn it on and refine the form. It would be huge for the fish if he could do that. And there's a role for Avi. There really is. There's at least a platoon role in right field. At least. And who knows what happens to Brian De La Cruz and everyone else. There's always going to be guys dinged up. So there's always going to be a need for a you know a fourth outfielder. I talked yesterday, though. This is really interesting, though, because if that's the case and that's the decision, then where do the Marlins' heads go at with Jonathan Davis and Garrett Hampson, etc.? Does that impact it? But Garrett Hampson, you know, he's obviously got the infield uh, position versatility, which is important, but... I think if the Marlins do think about that, then they probably have to consider non-tendering Jonathan Davis, to be honest with you. And I've spoken about Jonathan Davis a lot. A lot of people would be saying like, Pete, you're over, you're overplaying this Jonathan Davis situation. And I get that. But I've seen what happens to Jazz most time. Like the, the evidence tells me that Jazz will miss significant amounts of time. And with that, the Marlins really need to have that backup plan. They have to have Jonathan Davis on the roster to be the backup plan for Jazz. And they may well flex Jazz back to the infield. We spoke about it yesterday. I don't think they will. But I think because you've got Birdie and you've got Hampson and then you've got Avi and Jonathan Davis, there's probably enough with those guys to be able to cover all outcomes. You know, you're going to need like an emergency first baseman, but... You know, you can just throw a glove on anyone and stick them at first base, to be honest with you. But yeah, I, I'm 
I'm thinking, I'm I'm surprised I'm saying this, but as I've thought about it more, I think the outfield's sorts itself out right now with Brian De La Cruz, Jazz, and Jesus Sanchez. In my opinion, there's an eight-war outfield between the three of those guys if they play full years in 24. It's possible. And the total cost of that, around $5 million. Amazing. There's still a role for Abacel Garcia and his $12 million. It could be as a bench guy and as a platoon guy because there is a need for a platoon guy. They have to consider where Jonathan Davis fits on there, but I would absolutely look to have a insurance policy for Jazz Chisholm Jr. should anything happen uh, at all to Jazz. That defense of Jonathan Davis absolutely plays. So we'll wait to see. Guys are going to wrap it up there, though. I think the Marlins end up sticking with everyone in the outfield, and they they look to address other areas in this offseason. They obviously have to address shortstop. We'll talk about that in some detail. Catcher, they have to address in some sort of way. First base, we'll wait to see. But the Marlins have got other priorities. I think they roll it back. Roll it back with the outfield and stick with the same guys. And Avicel Garcia gets one more chance to impress with the Marlins. Thanks for making Locked On Marlins your first listen, guys. I'm going to get out of here and get some sleep. It is almost now approaching what, quarter to 12. It's almost quarter to midnight here. So get this bad boy posted. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. See you then.